Hello, and welcome to the Under the Sea Bass podcast, a deep dive into global protest. In this episode, we travel to the country of Colombia. La República de Colombia is a country located in South America, bordering Brazil, Panama, Ecuador, Venezuela, and Peru. It is one of the most ethnically diverse countries in the world and ranks second in biodiversity after its neighbor Brazil. It is also the only country in South America to have a coast on both the Atlantic and Pacific Ocean, as well as the Caribbean Sea plus being home to the world's leading sources of emeralds, amazing coffee, and delicious cuisines, and of course, beautiful women. However, Colombia tends to be renowned on the global stage for its history of drug trafficking, Pablo Escobar, and its civil war with the leftist guerrilla group called the FARC. But Colombia is so much more than that. Also, on a more personal note, this episode hits a little close to home because Colombia is the country of my family, of my ancestry. And if you're listening to this in late December 2019, it is the country I'm currently spending the holidays in at the moment. And despite tumultuous years of unimaginable violence in the 80s and 90s, Colombia has significantly improved in safety and its political history from the past 20 years has been, for the most part, pretty stable. It is also one of the fastest growing economies in Latin America. Yet in recent weeks, thousands of Colombians have hit the streets across the country to protest their general displeasure against the government, all for a variety of reasons. So let's find out what's going on right now in the country of Colombia. Colombia's national strike drew thousands of protesters from across different sections of society. Students, activists, and indigenous groups, as well as ordinary citizens, joined more than 40 unions striking against pension, tax, and labor reforms. The broad coalition of social groups had one thing in common, a discontent with the Colombian government. This all started on November 21st, when a national day of protest spread across social media. Reportedly, over 300,000 to close to a million Colombians hit the streets of cities such as Bogotá, Cali, Barranquilla, and Medellín, plus many others. Mostly inspired by recent protests this year in Chile, Ecuador, Peru, and Bolivia, Colombians are voicing their displeasure against the right-wing government of highly unpopular President Iván Duque. What began as a peaceful protest that day turned quite violent later on at night. In the capital Bogotá, groups of people stormed the capital building and began clashing with police. Some even stormed the international airport and vandalized nearly half of the city's buses. Riot police responded with tear gas at the Plaza Bolivar and at the Universidad Nacional while also arresting anyone they managed to get their hands on. A few clashes unfortunately resulting in death. A whole day later, President Duque finally responded to the protest by imposing a national curfew, the first time since 1977, and called for a national conversation. Here's what he had to say. We recognize the value of peaceful protests, but we must also guarantee public order. We will defend with all the tools that our Constitution grants us the right of Colombians to live in peace. The people responded by continuing to protest at the Plaza Bolivar by forming a spontaneous carcelorazo, or the banging of pots and pans, and again, clashing with police. Colombians are upset for a variety of reasons, such reasons like government corruption, high unemployment, economic mismanagement that has led to an increase in wealth inequality, lack of funding in public education, and infamously the extrajudicial killings of indigenous and social leaders in the southern Cauca region of Colombia, a region famously known for its major production of coca leaves and marijuana. 
According to an independent study by Reuters, since 2016, the same year the Colombian government signed a landmark peace treaty with the FARC, which we'll definitely get to later, 734 social activists have been killed, some by the military, most by drug cartels that still control the region. People have complained that Duque's government does nothing to protect the indigenous people, especially after a military bomb raid there that targeted some FARC guerrilla fighters and other drug cartels left eight kids ranging from ages 12 to 17 dead. Duque called the raid strategic, meticulous, impeccable, and vigorous. Hmm, not quite the best adjectives to use there. That major mishap led to Duque's defense minister, Guillermo Botero, to resign. They also complain about the government's persistent use of oil drilling in their protected territories. But the major reasons for the protest all across Colombia can be attributed to two specific points right now, pension reform and a faulty peace deal with the FARC. So let's begin with the first point, pension reform. The protests were initially called on by labor unions who were demonstrating against rumored plans to scrap the public pension system and lower the minimum wage for workers under 28 years old. Proposals that were never actually announced by the government, but rumors still loud enough to rally the people. The government insists there are no plans to cut pensions and the minimum wage. But even if there isn't a cut to pensions, the pension system, or what they call the economic system for protection against old age, in Colombia is still a hot topic of debate for many people. So. Let me try to explain this pretty complex pension system and yes, buckle up kids because I'm afraid we need to use math. So in Colombia, if you're employed, by law, you and your employer must make contributions to a retirement or pension fund. You contribute 4% of your wage to your pension and your employer contributes 12%. In total, 16% of your monthly salary goes toward your retirement. And there are two parallel pension systems in Colombia, a public pension and a private pension. The public pension is typically used by government workers. Under this system, you pay a monthly percentage into a communal pension fund, which is subsidized or increased due to the interest the government pays into it, and then distributed to retirees on a monthly basis. The money you would receive once you retire, however, is only accounted for by the last 10 years you were contributing to it. So you only really receive a small percentage of money based on the amount of years you worked. Plus the current pension system fund does not allow for beneficiaries. So if you die, then your spouse and kids do not receive the pension money. It simply goes back into this communal fund for other retirees. Also under the public system, you must attain two mandatory parameters to receive your pension. You gotta hit the retirement age and number of weeks worked. In Colombia, the retirement age is 62 years old for men and 57 for women. In contrast to the United States, where the retirement age for both men and women is 66, jumping to 67 years old by 2027. So if you're a woman in Colombia, for instance, you can certainly enjoy an early retirement, but only if you meet the second requirement, number of weeks worked. For the public system, you must contribute a minimum of 1,300 weeks, or 26 years, to receive a minimum wage pension. Now, under the private pension system, you can technically retire at any age, but only if you can fund at least 110% of the minimum pension or have worked 1,150 weeks or a little over 22 years. It kind of works like a 401k here in the United States. You have your own individual account. Your employer takes a percentage of your salary, puts it into a special pension fund, matches your contribution, and then puts the money into different funds to make it grow with interest. Plus, your family are beneficiaries of your pension money in the event you die. Most workers in Colombia go with the private system. So now, that doesn't sound too bad, right? Well, not if you can't seem to find a stable job for those numbers of years, which is getting increasingly difficult in Colombia. 
So just to recap really quickly, in Colombia, you can retire at a relatively young age if you contributed enough money into your pension or have worked at least 22 to 26 years. The problem that Colombians see with this system is that it exasperates the issues of income inequality as it greatly disadvantages people with lower incomes and who are more prone to unemployment. Basically, the poor cannot catch a break and will struggle once they get old, a predominantly global issue at this point. Another case is that young workers feel that the government isn't properly regulating the public pension system. Only 23% of the population in Colombia can apply for a public pension, with most of the subsidies going to those who can pay more into it, which would widen an already widening gap in wealth. And though the private system is the alternative, relying on your employer to keep you employed for those number of years is risky and job security is a major issue. And that's really the main reason why young people are strongly protesting against the government. They fear because of their economic mismanagement, the public pension fund will dry up, that they'll have to contribute more to help the elderly, and that they will be left with scraps by the time they reach their retirement age. It's a system they claim to be incredibly broken, and they're sick of politicians doing nothing to better it. Like how this one protester claims. The indifference is what's killing us. We aren't getting rid of all those corrupt people who are eating up our budgets and privatizing everything. Alright, so now to the second main point for the unrest in Colombia, which would be President Duque's unwillingness to implement a major peace deal with the FARC that was formalized in 2016 by former President Juan Manuel Santos. After more than five decades of bloodshed, there may be a chance for peace in Colombia again. The Colombian government and the Marxist guerrillas known as FARC are due to sign a revised peace deal Thursday to end the conflict that has killed more than 200,000 people and forced millions more Colombians from their homes. Colombia's president, Juan Manuel Santos, has bet his legacy on the agreement to end a war that he said could not be won militarily. This peace deal actually merited President Santos with a Nobel Peace Prize, so hey, good for him. But anyway, here's a historical context to this major peace deal. The predominantly right-wing government of Colombia had been at war with a Marxist-Leninist group called the Revolutionary Armed Forces of Colombia, or simply known by its Spanish acronym, the FARC. A group founded in 1964 that was formed to represent the rural population's interest, whose ultimate goal was to overthrow the government and finance its operations through the drug trade, kidnapping, extortion, and illegal gold mining. They also just wanted to rid Colombia of American imperialism and financial capital monopolies. What proceeded was 50 years of violence, bombings, kidnappings, and numerous assassinations of politicians and social leaders. It was ultimately a civil war between this militia group and the country's military. Overall, close to 300,000 people were killed and millions were displaced into violence. But then in 2012, then-President Juan Manuel Santos announced the government had begun exploratory talks with the FARC for peace. After a few failed promises and continued kidnappings, the guerrilla group and the government finally came to a final agreement in 2016. And a landmark decision was made in Colombia to finally end the 52-year civil war, the longest civil war in Latin American history. No more war. The chant was shouted by the 2,500 men and women, witnessing a historic moment for Colombia, the signing of a peace accord to end 50 years of armed conflict. The 2016 peace accords created a plan for the FARC to transition into its new status as a recognized political party. So basically, the FARC would receive political participation, and in return, they must agree to give up their weapons, completely stop kidnappings, and cease their involvement in drug trafficking. Which, to be fair, they have. Also, they managed to change their name to the Revolutionary Alternative Common Force, but still going by its Spanish acronym, FARC. 
So very creative brand marketing there by these guys. Anyway, the final implementation of the peace deal was put to a national plebiscite, where the people would vote yes or no on the peace deal. And this plebiscite was greatly divided between those yearning for peace and stability in Colombia, and others who say the sins of the FARC will never go unpunished. Here's why one person voted yes. Peace is a solution for everyone. Colombia deserves it. After half a century of war, we deserve peace. And here's why one person voted no. I voted no, and our neighbors voted no. We don't want Santos to sell our country out to the guerrilla. They are criminals. They need to pay. I'm with Uribe. And on October 2nd, 2016, a shocking result. It has been considered the most important vote in Colombia for decades. But less than 40% of those registered to take part actually went to the polling stations. Of those who did, the majority decided to say no. The Colombian people still vividly remembered the times of despair and violence perpetrated by the FARC. They believed the peace deal was too lenient. It allowed this once so-called terrorist group too quick of an entry into political and social life, and no jail time for the major players who ordered many of the attacks. But now, three years later, the news cycle has focused less on war with the FARC and more about stagnant wages, rising unemployment, and rumored pension cuts. All of this has caused the mostly young protesters in Colombia to demand President Duque to quit stalling with a peace deal with the FARC, especially since the more the government stalls, the greater the possibility of war to start up again. Colombians still want a peace deal with this group, just simply a better deal, I suppose. But overall, this major social movement is seen as a great test of the future of the right-wing governments of Colombia. For decades, Colombian politics has shunned any sort of liberal and socialist ideology, even when their closest neighbors like Venezuela, Brazil, Bolivia, and Ecuador all had leftist governments in control. Many people during this time period feared that if they expressed liberal ideas publicly, that they would be seen as sympathizers to the guerrillas and effectively silenced. It was basically McCarthyism, but with a little Latin flavor. So now, as we approach the end of 2019, current president Ivan Duque, who was the hand-picked candidate of former president and staunch anti-FARC strongman Alvaro Uribe, is seeing his very early presidency being put to the limit. He was elected president just last year. Citizens' patience is wearing thin. Most say he is completely out of touch with what the majority are seeking, put nicely by this protester. The government can't stay in a parallel reality on one side, and the real country is complaining and wanting to show the situation that many people are living in. And it's the president's and his government's duty to understand this and to take measures and not see this as a simple public order problem of violence and vandals. This is a massive, peaceful movement in which the citizens want to be heard and recognized and want to be taken into account. Now, in my humble opinion, I'm proud that Colombia as a country has significantly improved in security and stability. Medellin, the city where I'm at at the moment, was once the murder capital of the world in the early 2000s. Now it's a booming tourist destination, home to the nicest people you'll ever meet. But now that war and violence for the most part has passed, current and future generations are concerning themselves with more pressing issues, like unemployment, stagnant wages, and a stable pension. And that's not to say that rebel groups and drug trafficking still isn't a problem in Colombia, it most certainly is, but it is not as prevalent in the mind as it was with previous generations. And this could spell trouble for the dominant conservative governments in Colombia, especially if this wave of widening wealth inequality and economic stagnation continues to affect lower and middle class citizens. It might be only a matter of time before Colombia eventually chooses to go with a leftist president for the first time in decades, just like with AMLO in Mexico. Whether you're in favor of that or not is totally your opinion. 
As for the protests, the people aren't afraid to voice their displeasure anymore, and they will continue to peacefully rally in the streets until some of their major demands are met, or they will definitely swarm the ballot boxes in the next presidential election and instill some major change that way. But 2022 is still a ways away, so we shall see what comes next out of these massive demonstrations. Overall, Colombians are simply seeking for peace, and it is time that they get it, because truly, Colombia deserves it. This has been Under the Sea Bass, chilling on a balcony in Medellin, Colombia. Thank you for listening. Thank you all for listening to Under the Sea Bass, this episode on Colombia. And as always, a big thank you to my sources, Miguel Salazar from The Nation, who wrote an amazing article on the protests in Colombia, Time Magazine's Rachel Bunyan, The Guardian's Joe Parkin Daniels, World Politics Review's Luke Taylor, Adam McConaughey from the Cartagena Explorer, breaking down pensions in Colombia, Stanford University for their amazing scholarly journal on the FARC, the BBC, CNN, France 24 News, CGTN, and Al Jazeera English, and of course, various trusted sources on Wikipedia. Whether you're listening on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or any other streaming platform, I sincerely thank you for taking the time to listen to Under the Sea Bass. If you have any comments, please send them my way at underthesebasspodcast at gmail.com. Until then, remember to expand your mind, join the movement, and learn all about global protest here on Under the Sea Bass. I wish you all a happy holiday and a wonderful end to the decade. See you all in 2020.